Plantation SDA Church presents The Bible Unmasked. Read your Bible daily and join us every Sunday at 7.30pm for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation, let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with The Bible Unmasked. Nice to have everybody online with us today and an introduction to the Bible Unmasked. As you know, I'm Robert Stevenson, Principal of Sawgrass Adventist School, and uh, the, this Sabbath, uh, Jen uh, Pastor Jennifer Hernandez is going to be asking me the questions for Stump the Chumps today, and I will Stump tell you that, that that in, in in Jeremiah, there's some tough stuff going on there, um, and so you know we we've uh, we've 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 covered a lot in Isaiah and Jeremiah and it's, it's, it's some pretty deep and challenging stuff. Um, but as we get to Jeremiah, we, we've got to re remember that Jeremiah in, in many cases is talking to a specific people at a specific time in history. And so sometimes we try to make analogies for today and there are some good ones that we can make for today, but we've got to realize that we're talking about a specific time, in history and it, it's helpful to study in a historical timeline when reading jeremiah so you understand what's going on because jeremiah is talking about specific historical events that happened in history this this, this isn't this is uh, this is um again very very specific to a specific time so we are aired every sunday night at 7 30 on youtube at Plantation SDA TV. Our goal is to read the entire Bible by 2021. The reading plan is shared weekly during the Sabbath service and on social media. And again, a reminder to invite, uh, invite viewers to read with their family members, friends and coworkers, and to text their questions in advance to see how difficult you can make it for those of us who are the commentators, okay? Because they're these guys, and I will tell you, sometimes they'll say, please interpret an entire chapter of the Bible, uh, you know, and, and we will do our best, guys, to help you through this, because especially going through the last of the major prophets and into the minor prophets, there's, there's some difficult mm -hmm. and a lot of people in their individual reading through the Bible get stuck in this section and it's helpful to go together in groups so just remember that again pastor jen is going to be asking the questions i'll be addressing the questions this this week please subscribe uh, please subscribe to plantation sda church's youtube channel to be automatically notified of future episodes on our live stream and um now i'll be introducing pastor jen I'm gonna ask pastor <laughs> Jen, to pray for us, um, and and uh, we can discuss a little bit of last week's reading, which was Isaiah sixty through Jeremiah fourteen, and uh, and 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 then um, we will we'll start moving into today's discussion. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time, Father, this precious time that we are given and able to delve into your word, Lord, and learn about you just that much more, Father. I ask that you bless our time, Lord, that you guide us as we answer these questions that 
have been sent in, Lord, and I ask for a clearer picture that reveals you, our loving Father. Thank you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So, Rob, could you take us through just briefly what last week's reading was about? In, in Isaiah 60, it talked about basically a future vision of heaven, a gl the, the glory of Zion, what it's going to be like in heaven. It talks about the year of the Lord's favor in 61. It's going to talk about God's vengeance and redemption. Okay, in 62, it talks about Zion uh, being given a new name. Okay, then there's praises and prayer, a lot of, of interesting poetry that, that uh, Isaiah wrote, wrote down. He spoke about judgment and salvation in 65, and the new heaven and the new earth, also towards the end of 65. Judgment and hope. And it's wonderful that, that he contrasts judgment with hope because so many times when we consider judgment we consider that scary uh, mm -hmm. and that sort of uh ties us over into the beginning of jeremiah okay we've got to remember that jeremiah was a was a prophet during a very specific time in israel's history he was tormented he was thrown in jail he was thrown in a pit all kinds of bad things happened to him and he was given a tough message okay because he was out there telling people stuff they didn't want to hear Okay, mm -hmm. and so, um, and we will actually cover some of that today in some of his struggles with the message God gave him. And I'll tell you, for, for those of you who, who love preachers who will get up and tell you the truth no matter what, you'll love mm -hmm. Jeremiah. But there's a mm -hmm. lot of people, of, of preachers out there who make big bucks preaching messages that people love to hear. They give them the warm and fuzzy, but we're not living in a warm and fuzzy time, guys. And we need, Jeremiah. we need the Jeremiah. So that's Jeremiah's call started in chapter one. Chapter two is the unfortunate, him talking about the unfortunate fact that Israel had forsaken God. And we're seeing the world forsaking God right now as we're living it. And that goes all the way into chapter three. Um, uh, the, the last half of chapter three talks about how unfaithful Israel was. And those of you who know me and heard me preach, you, you heard me tell you that God's law is his blessing. You separate yourself from God's law. It's not that God does bad things to you. You disconnect yourself from God's blessing. So that's where we are in, in, in the latter half of three and into four. Then he starts talking specifically about where the bad stuff is going to happen. And so, you know, he's talking about ultimately he is the last prophet prophet before the babylonian invasion okay so he starts talking about any name specifically who's coming to get you and when he's going to come and all those kinds of things so he starts talking about that in five okay he talks about the fact that no one is israel is, is upright and how discouraging that is and then in chapter six jerusalem is under siege okay and uh and Jerusalem almost was constantly under siege by one group of people or another during this time. Okay. Uh, he talks about the fact that false religions are worthless. Okay. Mm -hmm. And we need to know about that. He talks about the valley of slaughter. He talks about sin and punishment. And uh, 
Then he talks about the true God versus idol worship. And what's interesting, and we'll discover this, especially as we start getting into Daniel and some of those things, the, 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 the post-Babylonian um, captivity, Israel never returned to idolatry after that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay? But prior to the Babylonian captivity, they were still struggling with worshiping idols. Okay, And so he talks about you know, worshiping the true God and, and idols. The fact that Israel broke their covenant with God. Remember in the wilderness, when God, we were back when we were doing Exodus and Leviticus, where God said, this is the law, will you promise it? They said, yes, we'll follow the law. Then they started dancing around idols and broke it. And it was over and over again, okay? Then we talk about um, plots against Jeremiah. People didn't want to hear his message, okay? People don't necessarily want to hear the end time message. They want to hear yeah. Happy Disney story version of what's going to go on in the world, but it's not a Disney fairy tale, guys. This world mm -hmm. is going to end. Even if God doesn't come, this world is going to end. It's the only thing that's right. the hope is that God is coming to save us from the misery that mankind is creating on this planet, okay? Um, Jeremiah in 12, Jeremiah's complaint, and God answers his complaint. And that's an important thing, guys. We can disagree with God, and God is big enough to see our perspective, even though he can't see his. Just like a parent dealing with a child. Mommy, I want to stick my finger into the electric socket. No, baby, I don't think that's a big idea. Mommy, you're so mean because you won't let me stick my fingers in the socket. Okay, <laughs> you understand what's going to happen. Your child doesn't. God understands that we're like children, and he is patient with us, okay? Um, then it talks about um, the, thre the, the, um, the threat of the upcoming captivity, and then it talks about drought, famine, and sword in 14, and then, and, and so he's talking about the bad things that are going to happen again, because nobody wants to hear about bad things. Um, and then finally, we are jumping into 15, and Jennifer has a bunch of wonderful questions. Solid questions. All right. Yes, what do we I have today? Do. All right. Let me get there. And so we begin with this one. The Lord said to me, even if Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not go out to these people. Send them away from my presence. Let them go. And if they ask you, where shall we go? Tell them, this is what the Lord says. Those destined for death, those for the sword, to the sword, those for starvation, to starvation, those for captivity, to captivity. The Lord said, surely I will deliver you for a good purpose. Surely I will make your enemies plead with you in times of disaster and times of crisis. So all this being said from the verse, the question becomes this. God first said that he will destroy his children, but later said that he will deliver for a good purpose. What does this mean and how is this passage applicable today? Is there a good example of a good purpose for which deliverance is warranted? Okay, first of all, this chapter is talking about that. And this is something that, again, is a hard message to hear, okay? But ultimately, there has to be an end to our sin and wickedness. There has to be. 
And at this time in history, Israel had pretty much turned its back on God, had a very, very evil king. Uh, the people were doing whatever they wanted. They were ignoring uh, the truth. And guys, we're living in a day-to-day -day where, especially in North America, evangelical, especially white evangelical Christianity, I'm sorry, has really apostatized in many, many horrible and sad ways, okay? We have mm -hmm. to recognize that. Um, and and we, we've got to make sure that we take, take to heart the warnings that God gives us. And ultimately, friends, when we turn our back, it's not God turning his back on us, okay? Just Once we turn our back on God, ultimately, mm -hmm. God is going to have to hand us over to the results of our choices, okay? If you hit your finger with a hammer, it's going to hurt. Trust it, I've done it many times, okay? All right? Eventually, if you want to hit your finger with a hammer, God's going to have to let you hurt, okay? If you're making decisions that are going to lead to death, God's going to have to let you die because you have chosen. You've chosen, okay? That's right. And, and God gave us the choice, and God has to respect our choices, but he also has to allow us to deal with the consequences of our choices, which is what he's talking about here. If you turn your back on God, God can't defend you anymore. Now, this is where God was ruling a nation. God can't protect a nation anymore because the nation has turned its back on God. But if there is a purpose, in other words, if God's, God's the future is dependent on God's mercy somehow mm. to bring about, especially the prophecies that we read about in Isaiah, God will do what he has to do because God can't allow Israel to apostatize and dissolve to the point where the Christ can't be born to his people. And we'll talk about that a little, a little later in here, in, 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 into the house of David as, as God predicted and, and that one day the child will be born. Okay, and so, you know, the, the little bit that, that, that Jeremiah points to the future here, but the fact is, friends, we've got to recognize that we can't just keep on doing our own thing and expect that we are going to be protected by God in our apostasy. And uh, that's what he's talking about here. Does God hope every single day like every single parent and for those of you who are parents of adult children who have watched them walk away from god in your life mm. you know that it creates a a rift in your relationship with them you know that they're uncomfortable with you if you are a true believer and they come into your home and and, and it causes a rift between you and your children that breaks your heart as a parent but you also know as a parent once your children leave your home, you no longer have authority. All you have is influence. Mm -hmm. Okay? That's, right. that's God. He really, once we walk away from them, we have taken his authority away from our life. All we have is his influence. And if we turn our back on him, unfortunately, unpleasant things will happen because we put ourselves, ourselves beyond his reach to be able to help us. So what is the good what is the good purpose in which he will deliver his children if he first if he first said that he will destroy what's the good purpose that he would later change his mind to deliver well and and and, and then even in today's study we move forward into that where he starts talking about the fact that there will be people who will be taken to babylon 
okay mm -hmm. but then they will ultimately be able to return and the good purpose is that is, is that and you see that thread through we've seen that thread throughout the entire bible so far that 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 god's promise to abraham okay that ultimately the, the seed of abraham will be as numerous as 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 the sand of the sea and that ultimately the salvation of the world will come through that, that that is God's good purpose, that the salvation of the world came through Israel. Mm. And then we will see that as we move into the New Testament and then is transferred to the entire world, making Abraham's seed through, the, uh, through our adoption into Israel, through Jesus Christ, that we become part of that. And so he's alluding to what is going to have to happen in order for the previous prophecies to be fulfilled. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Okay. All right. We come now to Jeremiah 15, um, 9, where it reads, read 59 reads, she languishes who has borne seven. She has breathed her last. Her son has gone down while it was yet day. She has been ashamed and confounded, and the remnant of them I will deliver to the sword before their enemies, says the Lord. Who is the mother of seven referenced in this verse? And why is, why is it said like this? First of all, he's talking about the mother of seven. First of all, a mother of seven boys, seven being the complete number. Okay? So in the Bible, seven the seven boys um, that is a complete and happy family okay um, a, a mother who has seven boys of course she has more that's great but seven in the in the biblical sense in the prophetic sense talks about perfection the problem is is God did everything to make this entire situation perfect because when you have your know, mother has seven sons that is because of God's grace that she has seven sons um, but 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 because of, of, of Israel being that mother has apostatized, bad things will happen to that perfect situation that God desired for her by giving her that perfect family with the perfect number of sons and everything was supposed to work out well. But, but ultimately, looking forward to Israel's ultimate captivity and going away to Babylon and all that, that very, very sad history that we see taking place in Jeremiah, the, the nation of Israel, like that perfect mother and that perfect home that God so much wanted them to have, is now uh, becomes a pariah in the world as Babylon is ultimately going to come in. And again, we see Babylon taking over as we, as we go through Jeremiah here, that Babylon comes over and takes over and takes them away. And, and the nation is basically disbanded for 70 years. Wow. And, it's interesting. Right. and it's interesting that he talks about seven sons and Israel is gone for 70 years before they can mm -hmm. come back. It's all for seven, so the completion and everything. It, Definitely it all, completion. All, it, all, it all ties in. Yeah. Man, I am two sons away from completion. You're almost there, Jen. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> good where I'm good where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes imperfection uh, isn't a bad thing. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I'm good with my imperfection. All right. Okay. Jeremiah 16, verse 1 to 8. Um, says a lot. 
And it says that the question is, why would God subject Jeremiah to such a harsh lifestyle? Does he require missionaries to live that way nowadays? Jeremiah 16, 1 to 8 talks about his lifestyle and message. Why would God subject Jeremiah to this type of lifestyle? You know, Jeremiah had a hard time with it too. And, and I'll tell you, I you know, coming from a, a long family of church workers, there have been some people in my family, and I've been through some serious challenging times as I've tried to do what's right in my ministry as a school principal as well. When you're doing what's right, you're not always going to be loved for it. Okay. Um, I have been as a school principal. There was one school where I was a principal where I, I had to go in and deal with a major drug problem. The school was morally bankrupt. I had to, I had to wrestle with a bunch of issues and that school board wouldn't back me and they ran me out. Okay. Um, mm. Sometimes the right thing, you, you are, you are not always rewarded for it. And, and so many times in our lives, um, when we're not rewarded for doing the right thing, we, we allow ourselves, and it is discouraging, and we allow ourselves to get discouraged and, and want to no longer do that work. Mm -hmm. But there mm -hmm. are specific people that are called to do challenging things during difficult times, and that was Jeremiah. And the only thing that can keep you going is the knowledge that this life that we're living is temporary and that mm -hmm. ultimately we're working for a greater power and working for a greater purpose and unless we keep that in focus we will find ourselves being lost during those difficult times i also believe that it is an incredible um honor or or even a a a um you know that that god saw the strength in Jeremiah that he was going to be able to stand and preach this message in the last days. And we've got to realize that we are living in the last days right now. We are living in Jeremiah's days right yes. now. And the people yes. who are preaching Jeremiah's message today are going to deal with similar struggles. Mm -hmm. But we have mm -hmm. to recognize that deal with those struggles ultimately we are looking forward to a much greater reward and that we need to do the task that god gave us and it's a difficult task and it, it is it is a thankless task in this mm. life but we've yes. got to recognize that we're looking forward to the next life with the god who saw in us the strength to give his message in the last days Yes. Now I'm, I'm looking at this question and, and I want to go just a little bit deeper when it says, um, does God require missionaries to live that way these days? So now I'm thinking the harshness of it. So uh, now, now I'm thinking settings, right? We have missionaries who are who are working in, um, let's say, the slums of India versus missionaries who are working in, in the beautiful camps of Hawaii. 
And when you compare and contrast, some might say, well, that's not fair. You have a more cush missionary life versus this, this missionary life is hard. So how do you, how, how do you regulate missionary work when you think about the settings in which the different settings in which God places you in and how some people might feel um, as if they're maybe working more than others to push the gospel, spread the gospel? Yeah, and, that, and that's a great question. Um, and I, I want you to know that I always wanted to go out and be a missionary out in the bush somewhere. I always did. Those, those are my people. Uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't persuade my significant other to do it with me. Um, but, but I have had, have, I currently have a no friends who became Adventist frontier missionaries who literally mm. went into remote villages in places like Thailand. Listen, I've, I've had friends who went into remote villages in Afghanistan in the middle of the war. I, I've had, had friends who have quietly gone into countries like Iran where Christianity is illegal and started quiet home churches at, under the fear of death because their desire is to make sure that the gospel is heard in all the world before Jesus Christ comes. And it, it should never be, for, for the people who are, who are brave enough to do that, you, the thought in their mind seldom goes, boy, you know, I would rather go and be, you know, working in, in some cushy location somewhere. The thought in mm -hmm. their minds is Christ died for me. I'm willing Amen. to die for him because I'm living for eternity ultimately. And so if they lose their lives, that's fine. I know a family who went into Cambodia immediately after the Pol Pot regime was, was, oh. was taken care of. They were one of the first missionary groups to get into Cambodia after Pol Pot fell. And they're still working there today. They made it their life's mission, okay, to go mm -hmm. in there and reach the people of Cambodia. And they love what they've done. And it's been incredibly rewarding. But in the early days, they were under threat of death almost daily, okay? The fields that they had to had to plant for the school, first they had to remove years worth of landmines out of those fields before they could even start to, to, to grow crops in them. And they cleared the mines and, and they planted the fields and they started their school and they started mm. their churches. They've, they've done great things. It, it is so rewarding to do that kind of work that most of the people who do it never never really think about, boy, I wish I was a cushy pastor back in the United States. They don't think mm -hmm. about that because there's such joy in the mm -hmm. reality of serving God in such a direct way that in, in many cases, the people who I've met in those, in, in those circumstances have pitied the people who are working in the United States because mm. they have not had the depth of experience and, and the test and the faith walk they've had to walk in order to achieve what they've achieved. So, so if God puts the calling on your heart to do great and dangerous things for him, do it. And he mm -hmm. will protect you. If he doesn't protect you, just like the, the men who stood before Nebuchadnezzar and said, our God will protect us from the fiery furnace. But even if he and doesn't, we're not going yes. to bow down to your image. Because ultimately, friends, as, as, as Seventh-day Adventist Christians and as Christians in general, we believe in, in eternal life and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we've got no reason to be afraid 
or resentful during in this life because we're working for eternity, not for a dollar. And I would rather work for eternity than a dollar any day. Amen. Yes. Beautiful answer for that. Thank you. Jeremiah 16 verses 10 and 11 read, And it shall be when you show this people all these words and they say to you, Why has the Lord pronounced all this great disaster against us? Or what is our iniquity? Or what is our sin that we have committed against the Lord our God? Then you shall say to them, Because your fathers have forsaken me, says the Lord, they have walked after other gods and have served them and worshipped them and have forsaken me and not kept my law. So the question from these verses reads, does God punish us because of the iniquities of our parents? That, that's a tough question. And, and I, I remember reading that. Um, and I'm going to give you a little bit of a scientific answer for this. And, and, it's, and it's a tough one to hear, um, mm -hmm. especially if you're a young person who's planning to be a parent. Because every stupid thing you do gets programmed, <laughs> to, gets programmed, literally every good thing and stupid thing you do. Let's balance it here. Okay? Yes, yes. Into the, um, into what is, and scientists have identified this, as it is a protein sheath that covers your DNA. Okay? Every, every good and stupid thing you do. Mm -hmm. in, in essence, Every foolish thing you do or good thing you do gets programmed into the mindset and the makeup of your children. <laughs> I told my children very, very, very directly. I said, every dumb thing you do, you're giving your child permission to do it genetically. Okay? So you're going to realize that, that, that all of us are genetically cursed or blessed by the decisions made by our forefathers. Mm. And there is a strong tendency for us to, to, um, to repeat over and over again. And this is what Jeremiah is seeing, okay? Jeremiah mm. is seeing the constant repeating history of Israel apostatizing from God, okay? And so this is now built into the DNA of this nation, which from the day they were liberated from Egypt till then were constantly walking away from God, okay? And, and, what, and the part of Israel that we're looking, we're just, we're just like two tribes, basically. The 10 tribes of Israel, which were part of Samaria, had already been assimilated into the Assyrian Empire and no longer existed, never to be seen or identified again. Okay, so we're talking about this remnant group of Israel now who is still choosing to apostatize and ha have, have built the apostasy that has existed since, you know, for thousands of years into their children. And so, yes, unfortunately, unless we choose to give our body, minds, and soul over to the control of the Holy Spirit, the reality is, the reality is, in many cases, unless we truly give God the control, we are incapable of controlling 
mess in our lives. We just have to realize that the, between the grace of Christ and the control of God. That's why Paul will say, you'll read this when you get to uh, read this when you get to first and second Corinthians, we are either slaves to Christ or we're slaves to the devil. And, and, but, mm -hmm. but he doesn't say that at any time or should we fool ourselves to think we are capable of making intelligent decisions? It's either going to be the devil or God. And unless we allow ourselves to be slaves and slaves are controlled by their masters, we're going to continue to deal with these issues. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, unfortunately, there is a generational curse. Okay. Yes. When the Bible says, father and mother so your days will be long upon the land okay it's important or visiting the iniquities from the fathers and the sons under the third and fourth generation okay mm -hmm. this is speaking about genetic reality of that of that previous genetic sheath that is over our genes that are passed down from parents so you will often see kids from parents who are from more stable homes that, that 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 made good decisions in their lives those kids somehow seem to do better okay you see kid, kids or people and and i can you you can identify those two who came from troubled homes you bring that trouble yeah. with you to your next relationship and without giving yourself completely over to god you're dealing with a multi-generational curse okay yes. and so this is what dealing with here this is what jeremiah is talking to here because those same sins and propensities are in the hearts of the young people of the generations in israel living there now and so we need to be cognizant of that as christians and make sure that we're very deliberate about giving our decision making on our lives over to god Excellent. And I also found in, in Exodus, it says, I, the Lord, I think this is the verse that you were looking at or could be also referring to. I, the Lord, visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And so it, it goes on to explain um, the generations to come who experience the penalty of the father's sins are those who hate God. We're not right. told how the father's sins become the children's sins, but you just explained it well. But what we are told is that when the father's sins are visited on the children, it is because the children are already really sinful. And this is the form in which the father's sins are visited. So all judgment is really deserved by the person who is punished. However, there's a part two. Because of God's grace, which is finally secured by Christ, the children can confess their own sins and the sins of their fathers are forgiven and accepted by God because we find in Leviticus 26, 40, but if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers, if then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob. So yes. The sins of the fathers are visited on the, on the children, but the children can also make penance. Well, not penance, but they can also Amen. ask for forgiveness from it. All right. We are moving on to Jeremiah 17, verses 19 through 20. It says, Thus the Lord said to me, Go and stand in the gate of the children of the people by which the kings of Judah come in, 
and by which they go out and in all the gates of Jerusalem and say to them, hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah and all of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem who enter by these gates. The question is, God gave Jeremiah specific Sabbath-related instructions because the Israelites were transgressing it. Can we transgress the Sabbath today while doing what we think might be appropriate for it? <laughs> Good question. That, that, that is an extremely challenging question. Um, you, you know, sometimes I worry. Living here in South Florida, where we have such dynamic and full church programs. <laughs> getting a good Sabbath rest, we're going all Sabbath long. Okay? Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and so, God, careful of that. Maintain balance in your life. Sabbath is meant to rest. And I know many of us who are involved in ministry, those of us who are actively involved with the church, struggle with balance. If you are going all day Sabbath and you're not taking time to rest, spend time with family, uh, re reacquaint yourselves with the students, put your devices away and escape for a little bit, you're missing out on what the Lord really wants for the Sabbath. And that's to spend it with him and with family and in love. Okay. The Sabbath was a prime example for me. I would just got off of a three hour Zoom meeting before I get on with this one. Okay. And so mm -hmm. my entire Sabbath afternoon, it sucked away. Okay. I'm not spending it sleeping. I'm not spending it resting. I'm not spending it with Sabbath. I'm not spending it talking to my kids on the phone. I'm not spending it playing with my dogs. I'm going and going and going and going and going. That was not God's plan. I hate to break it to you. And, and if you're mm -hmm. a pastor and you love the fact that everybody uh, volunteers and does a bunch of stuff, but if they're volunteering too much and they're not spending enough time with their families and they're, and they're not maintaining balance and Sabbath isn't a day of regeneration, but it's a day yes. of just going and going, I'm not saying don't do that, but be careful, be careful, because you might be missing out on the blessing God wants you to get from Sabbath, and you may be doing good on the Sabbath to the extreme. Again, yes. once you get into the Synoptic Gospels, um, which is, you know, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will see that Jesus, even the Son of God, took time out to, rest. to escape. Right. He would go up in the mountain to rest and pray. He would tell his disciples, hop in a boat, go to the other side of the lake so we can get away from these people. Christ was very important, uh, was, 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 was very deliberate about maintaining balance during his ministry, even though it was only a three-year ministry, okay? For those of us who are going to work a lifetime before Christ comes, okay, we've got to make sure that we pace ourselves, that we make sure that we keep the sabbath holy and that it's it's okay every once in a while to have a really really busy sabbath but that is if that's your norm and then you mm -hmm. go back to work exhausted because of everything you've done on the sabbath you may have done good you may have worked hard but you failed to rest you are not truly keeping the sabbath the way the lord intended okay so so yes jen the answer is yes we can be keeping the Sabbath all wrong. I also know, I've also, and I don't want to make anybody feel bad, but I know that there are parents who've been all Sabbath involved in church activities while their kids are running around the church getting into all kinds of stuff. Okay? Mm -hmm. yes. You involve your whole family, make sure they're all involved. It's fine if you're a parent in the church raising your hands and screaming hallelujah, but if your kids aren't with you and they're running amok, 
in other parts of the church. Mm -hmm. Be careful, Be careful right. guys. You're you're on a slippery slope, okay? You're on a slippery slope. I also know people from other religious traditions on the Sabbath where they will say, well, I keep the Sabbath more holy by going out to eat on the Sabbath. <laughs> okay, I hate to break it to you, and I'm pulling a Jeremiah here. I'm preaching a message you may not to hear, but the Bible says, thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter nor thy manservant nor thy maidservant. That means you are... are having people serve you on the Sabbath from the restaurant. You may think you're getting a rest, but you're not giving a rest to anybody else, okay? You prepare for the Sabbath on Friday. You, if you're gonna be busy, you got the Publix Deli you can go to. Bring your food home, eat together with your family, have a true day of rest, guys. But, but, but spending money and going out and eating on the Sabbath does not fall within what the Ten Commandments says. And even though in your mind you may think that is giving me a break because I'm a working mom or a working dad and I need that break, uh, guys, be careful. Be careful. Jeremiah says very specifically that you can be thinking you're doing the right thing on the Sabbath. Make sure that you understand the Sabbath. And maybe, Jen, this will be a good challenge for any of the pastors or, or I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> to do this but to preach a series on sabbath observe um i i was a one of the, the the main speakers of a church plant when i was in las vegas and one of the things i did with my people is is we actually did a sabbath challenge okay mm. where we decided to see how our lives would be blessed if we worshiped on the sabbath the way a, a, a conservative Jewish family would worship on the Sabbath, which meant that we did all of our preparation the week before. Our mm -hmm. food was prepared or we purchased it. You don't have to prepare it from scratch the week before. We, we did as much of the cooking and things as we did. Friday evening before the sunset, we planned activities for our families to spend together in fellowship beforehand so that when the Sabbath came, we prepared for Sabbath as if we were dating God. For those of you who mm -hmm. remember back when you were dating and you prepared for a date, and, and man, I would do elaborate stuff. All the planning. I'd go to the restaurant ahead of time and set things up and make sure that I had non-alcoholic wine lined up there and I'd have flowers in the refrigerator. I mean, I'd have stuff set up. I was a player, baby. But you know, we got to realize that when we do that, God is wanting us to, to put the same amount of preparation of into the time we right. spend with him because we love him, okay? Mm -hmm. And I will tell you that the families that got involved, and it was almost the entire church that did it, and we did it just because we wanted to see what would happen. The, the blessing that we experienced by doing that, not just, in our, not just personally, but for our families and our relationships were enormous. And we've got to, we, we've got to get back to that. Okay, so that at the end of the Sabbath, it's not, oh, thank goodness, Sabbath is over. I'm exhausted. We got to think, oh man, Sabbath is over. That means I've got to go back to the regular week. I can't wait for the next one. But I think mm. there are some that when Sabbath comes, it's like, oh, another Sabbath. I'm stuck doing this again. Mm. Mm -hmm. that, that, that's not what it should be about, guys. I hate to break it. I'm pulling an Isaiah here. I'm preaching a message you may not want to hear. But guys, I want I want you to be in the kingdom of heaven. Okay. If you're going to be miserable in this world to make it to the next one, let's get to the next one. Come with me, guys, please. Okay. Sorry. I'll get. I'll that's get right. On. No, no. I, I completely agree with you. I think about 
I think about what my day has has been like today. You know, we have to be, I had to be up at six to be ready for the prayer vigil, to lead the prayer vigil at 6.30. Then I had to be at church by eight to make sure registration um, was ready to go. And then you go through the whole Sabbath thing. And and then what happened? Um, in, in some respects, hey, the pic, the prayer picnic was canceled, and I kind of I kind of breathed a little sigh of relief, but that didn't stop the fact that I that I had to record the podcast for yeah. for a deeper dive yeah. and now record um, for for Bible on Mass, and then now in just a couple hours we're going to go into the church business meeting, and so when you think about the whole role of it you know i mean the role of events that happen on the sabbath sometimes for a pastor this is why and i hate to say it like this but it's very true this is why we don't have a sabbath and for a pastor not to have a sabbath and we're told well then take your sabbath on a monday or tuesday or any other day of the following week but take your sabbath then but then then does it make it special for us right you know (laughs) does it become and and i get it this is this is the um the, the the lifestyle that we've embraced, but at the same time, you know, there there still needs that bit of balance, like you said, and we're soon gonna get lost in it if we allow it. If if these kind of days, like I'm thinking about next week, there's baptism next week, and and I've thought about other Sabbaths this year where you go go go, and then by the time you get home in like four in the afternoon, you're just raiding. I do, I drop into bed, and but but you know, then where's the, then where's the family time? Right. Because then I'm knocked out for two or three hours and the kids have been, you know, been babysat with veggie tails, you know. And, and so it, it's this thing that you have to think now, which are the things that are more important, you know, and, and this is a hard this is a hard thing to read. This truly is. Besides. OK, Jeremiah 18, one to eight. Was God teaching Jeremiah some life lessons as he gave him messages for Israel? And besides idolatry, what is leading to the destruction of Israel Jude, or Judah in today's chapters? Okay, so, and I think anybody who preaches or teaches knows that we learn as much from the preparation as, as the people who we share it with. Um, there, there have been many times where I've been preparing a sermon and I've been given a topic or it's a topic that the Holy Spirit has laid on my heart. As I do my study and preparation for it, I have been getting major life lessons and I can tell you that I have been blessed as much through that experience as those who yes. I share them with. Mm-hmm. So, so, so yes, um, that, that's absolutely true. Um, now, when we get into I- idolatry and whether that is the only reason why um, Israel was being punished, I, I think that's definitely true. They, they, they were being I- idolatry was just a, is, is typically just a symptom of a deeper problem that people have. OK, um, I honestly say, you know, and, and again, I'm from a psychology background. I've done a lot of counseling of people with substance abuse issues and all that stuff. All of those issues that happen in people's lives, all their personal struggles are really spiritual issues. We, we can mm, test that it's the issue at hand, but it's the deeper spiritual struggle that is the real issue, okay? So Israel's falling into idolatry was just symbolic of hearts that were unwilling to give in to the leadership of God. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. And so the idolatry was only a symptom of the deeper disease. That's why we live in a world that is obsessed with pushing evolution over creation. Because yes. evolution is a way to answer the questions of the world without there having to be a god. Okay? Yes. They want to make the world a godless place. And so we're living in a world that is desperately trying to get God out of the equation so that they can live their lives any way they want to live them. And so Mm -hmm. in idol worship, you definitely have people who who are choosing idols, but but what they're doing is they're rejecting God. That's the issue. The idols aren't the problem. It's the rejection of God that's the problem. Because if you're an idol worshiper, there's a whole bunch of stuff you can do that mm-hmm. is outside of God's will. And we've got to also remember, guys, and again, you hear me say it over and over again, God's will is his blessing. God wants us mm-hmm. to be blessed. When we step out of that, bad stuff's going to happen, whether you believe God or not. If you it's follow the law of God, your life is better okay and so god is very very frustrated just like a parent who tells his kid all day long don't put your hand on the hot plate it's going to burn you okay but the child wants to put their hand on the hot plate now the mom will continue to say don't put your hand on the hot plate eventually dad's going to say hey child if you're enough of a retard put your hand on the hot plate and you will learn put your hand on the hot plate okay and then they learn okay And that's what we're seeing here with Israel. God is finally saying, you want to put your hand on the hot plate so badly? Do it! Go ahead and do it, yes. Stuff is going to happen to you, but God is just frustrated. He he goes from being, you know, sort of the the, the kind, loving, maternal figure to finally the dad figure, okay, you got to learn. You You just got to do it. You're going to have a scar. You're never going to be the same again. We might have to rush you to the emergency room, but... Hey, you, you, would, you would learn that what I'm telling you is true. And, and you know, mm-hmm. in my life, and, and I've told this to my kids over and over again, the, the only difference between a smart person and a less than smart person is that a smart person learns from other people's mistakes. Mm. A less than smart person has to mistake make this mistake themselves to learn from all right so be a smart person see what other people do people who drink alcohol you know i've never met somebody who drank alcohol when they got to their 60s and said boy i'm glad i started drinking okay find that person they'll say i develop a taste for it i'm stuck for it for the rest of my life i'm now an alcoholic it ruined my life okay so 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 you learn from that person and say i'm never going to drink because i met my, my friend down the road who said, man, that was one thing he wished he had never done. Okay, learn from dumb mistakes. But Israel yes. not only didn't learn from the dumb mistakes of their predecessors, they were determined They're to repeating make them. Yes. Okay? So, so, so that's kind of where we are with that. All right. Jeremiah 18 and 13, 18 verse 13 and Jeremiah 31, 4 read, Therefore, this is what the Lord says, inquire among the nations, who has ever heard anything like this? A most horrible thing has been done by virgin Israel. And Jeremiah 31 says, I will build you up again and you, virgin Israel, will be rebuilt. Again, you will take up your timbrels and go out to dance with the joyful. Why is Israel called a virgin and 
Why is it significant that God promises to restore Israel while informing Israel of its upcoming destruction? Because God's always looking for a way to restore us. Always. Okay. Now, when God describes Israel as a virgin, that's purity. That is, that is God's desire for Israel to be the, the bride for the bridegroom. Again, we will see that again uh, when we start go, getting into the book of Matthew particularly. Okay, Th that, that God wants his people to be ready for him, that they're his pure people. But, but, but in, in this case, he's talking about in present tense, mm -hmm. a, a defiled virgin. Okay, which means you're not a virgin anymore. Okay, but a right. defiled virgin, and the virgin is pointing to what God God's hope for Israel was, and the fact that ultimately God wants to restore Israel. Okay, and 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 it oh and, and listen, the only way to get your virginity restored is by a miracle, right? There's no other way, right? I mean, right. So, so so he's talking about creating a miracle and restoring israel putting it in its right place in the world so that israel can fulfill the prophecies pointed to in in especially the first half of isaiah so so that christ can be born of a virgin within israel so that the world can be saved okay so so that's what we're talking about here and and it's it, it's 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 very graphic imagery that he's talking about, and you can have nightmares about this kind of I imagery taking place. But what I love is the defilement followed by God finding a way to restore purity to His people again. Beautiful, beautiful. All right, Jeremiah twenty-five reads. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, like these good figs, I regard as good the exiles from Judah, whom I sent away from this place to the land of the Babylonians. My eyes will watch over them for their good. I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them up and not uproot them. I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God, for they will return to me. But like the bad figs which are so bad they cannot be eaten so i will deal with zedekiah's king of judah his officials and the survivors from jerusalem whether they remain here in this land or live in egypt i will make them abhorrent and an offense to all the kingdoms of earth a reproach and a byword a curse and an object of ridicule wherever i banish them i will send the sword famine and plague against them until they are destroyed from the land I gave to them and their ancestors. So this question, these two questions come from this passage. Exile sounds like punishment. Why did God send his children into exile? And are there times when our tribulations or what may seem like punishments are in fact blessings in disguise? All right, so, so we know that ultimately the Babylonians defeat Israel, they, des they destroy the temple, they destroy Jerusalem, and they only take the creme de la creme of Israel to mm -hmm. Babylon with them. They, they don't take the they, they, they don't, they don't, they, they take the royalty. Um, in fact, it, it talks about, in, in one of the next questions, it talks about the fact that they took the skilled artisans 
They took everybody of value to, to Babylon, and they really left the dregs of society in Judea. Okay. In yes. fact, uh, when, when we get um, to, to the, the, the minor prophets, we start talking about the fact that these dregs of Israelite society were there to create problems for them when the exiles returned from, Bab from, from the Medo-Persian Empire. Okay. Um, and, and so they, 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 they weren't the greatest of folk that were left behind. And sometimes mm -hmm. we, we are correct, uh, you, you're, you're correct that being in captivity can often force us to be in a situation where we have to choose specifically to follow God in a very direct way, where we have, where we have to face the consequences of our bad decisions and find yes. ourselves in captivity and recognize that the only way out of captivity is to trust in God. Okay. And so after the 70 years captivity, which we, we, we're going to get, get into when we hit Daniel, okay, we, we're going to discover that after the 70 years of captivity, these people who were the, the best of the best, who now had been Babylonian trained mm. in, in agriculture, in, 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 in construction, and all of these things. You know, Babylon, is, and again, the, this goes back to, to the, the book of Genesis, Babylon was the original civilization after the flood. It was the oldest civilization. Babylon was where the Tower of Babel had been erected, okay, right. and struck by God, and all of humanity was spread from there. Babylon was the original city-state after the flood. This was an ancient, ancient civilization that predates Israel or anybody else. It was the first vestige of civilized society. It all sprang from that one place after the flood. They went there, as evil as it was, okay, mm -hmm. to, to, to learn the wisdom and the science of Babylon, so they were there and they were educated. As, as we read in the scripture, those people were put in high places of government. They weren't just sent, sent to Babylon to just be the, the regular house servants and slaves. Um, and then only, oh, and, and then although some people assume that all of Israel left when it was time to leave, only the Israelites who believed in God and his prophecies were the ones mm. who no Persian captivity and went back to Jerusalem. Okay, Jews mm -hmm. were spread throughout the Middle East and the Far East um, after the Babylonian captivity, and many of them chose to stay. Okay, mm -hmm. many of them chose to stay where they were because they had good jobs and good positions. And especially after Queen Esther's time, the Jews were actually a very special group of people. Okay. Okay, and, and, and we'll, we'll get into that in the future, where, 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 af, where after Queen Esther with her relationship with the king and, and, and Mordecai's intervention, the Israelites were put into a uniquely powerful position in the empire. We've got to recognize now that many of them who chose to came back were the, 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 the faithful who chose to believe in God. And so the remnant faithful of Israel returned to rebuild the nation. And we'll discover historically that that group of people never went back to worshiping idols. 
Now, we'll discover by Christ's time, they weren't worshiping idols anymore. They were actually worshiping the law, which is another whole issue. And we will discuss that when we get to it. But, but the fact is, they, they learned their lesson that we're not going to do idol worship any, anymore. So, so yes, there is a, a level of purification that can happen in a heart if we allow it to happen, if we find ourselves in a captive situation that God put us in. Because the Bible says very specifically in the book of Daniel that God gave Judea over to Nebuchadnezzar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So God's will can be carried out when we apostatize. God has to choose yes. other people. That's right. To carry it out. Yes. To carry out his purpose. And again, that's when we have to just trust God, that God is in control. And that's a hard one. And I struggle with that. You know, you see some crazy thing going on. You have to say, oh, you know, uh, some president who you don't aren't particularly excited about becomes elected president. And I'm not going to mention any names, red hats. And, and, and God says... And you have to say, God is ultimately in control. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know? That's right. All right. A few more, just a few more questions left. Jeremiah 19, verses 10 to 12 says, Then you shall break the flask in the sight of the men who go with you and say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Even so I will break this people and this city as one breaks a potter's vessel which cannot be made whole again, and they shall bury them in Tophet till there is no place to bury. Thus I will do to this place, says the Lord, and to its inhabitants, and make this city like Tophet. What was the meaning of the symbolic action the Lord told Jeremiah to carry out in these verses? What was the symbolic meaning of breaking the flask? It, it, it's the ultimate <laughs> I mean, when when the um, when the uh, the Babylon army Babylonian army finally destroyed Jerusalem, and it wasn't it wasn't their first time they went in that they destroyed it. They 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 actually put in a puppet king for a while. That puppet king fell. They had to came when they finally came in and truly put an end to Jerusalem. They broke Jerusalem. When the mm. Jews came back after the seventy years of of captivity. It was just a pile of rubble that they had to find a way to rebuild. Okay, and so when he smashed that 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 piece of pottery, he was showing that this was going to happen to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was going to be utterly destroyed, which is heartbreaking because you know I would have loved to have seen Solomon's temple. You know that that mm, was that yes. was a marvel of of construction. But, but Solomon's temple, the temple built by Solomon for God with, with, with God's own architectural plan given to Solomon to do it, was completely torn down. That's right. That's right. All right. Jeremiah 20, verses 7 to 10 says, O Lord, you induced me, and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I and have prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. For when I spoke out, I cried out, I shouted, violence and plunder, because the word of the Lord was made to me, a reproach and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, God, nor speak any more in his name, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. For I heard many mocking, fear on every side. Report, they say, and we will report it. 
All my acquaintances watch for my stumbling, saying, perhaps he can be induced, then we'll prevail against him and we'll take our revenge on him. The question is, why was Jeremiah upset with God according to these verses? And is it a sin to be upset with God? Jeremiah was upset God gave him a hard message to preach and it was not always well received. And he was imprisoned for the messages he sent and he was thrown in a cistern for the messages he sent. And so it was tough. And I will tell you, being in God's service is not always easy. In fact, it seldom is. In, in fact, you know, New or Old Testament, it doesn't matter. There's absolutely um, no historical um, evidence to show that those who were truly in God's service lived an easy life. Um, all of Christ's 12 disciples um, came about very unfortunate and grisly ends. Um, you know, poor John was boiled to death and then all scarred was put on, on, on the island of Patmos because the, because the boiling didn't kill him. Hard, hard. Okay? And it's okay to be grumpy about that. It's hard not to be grumpy about going through hardship. God understands. Okay. So, so yes, there'll be times when we're in God's service that we'll become discouraged. Listen, I, I preach a great uh, sermon on Elijah. Okay. But... The second half of Elijah's story is that he expected all of Israel to follow God and, and Jezebel to become to become a believer, and she didn't. And when she threatened him, he ran into the wilderness, suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. It completely discouraged, and God had to go and reach out to him and rehabilitate him so that he could continue his work. So mm. it, it's, it's, it's tough work. It's discouraging work. And God understands from his perspective, because God sees it all. He understands that from our perspective, this seems hopeless, okay? Mm -hmm. but, so it's okay to let God know. Listen, we can let God know how we're feeling because yes. we're feeling God lives in the deep, dark, scary part of our soul where those, right. those things exist anyway. So we may as well just express it because he knows we can't hide it from him. But, That's but, right. but God kept those those um, messages burning in Isaiah's heart, in, in Jeremiah's heart to the point where Jeremiah just had to share them mm -hmm. because God mm -hmm. strengthened Jeremiah and Jeremiah continued to share those stories all right two more questions Jeremiah 25 15 and 16 reads for thus says the Lord God of Israel to me Take this wine cup of fury from my hand and cause all the nations to whom I send you to drink it. And they will drink and stagger and go mad because of the sword that I will send among them. What does this mean? <laughs> it just means that ultimately God's judgment is going to come. And you know, we, we, the, those countries at that time, and this was a very specific prophecy for that time, the countries who were involved with, uh, with God's fury were, were going to experience the, the results of what God's fury was going to be. And ultimately, anybody who chooses to apostatize from God ultimately has to drink from that cup, okay? And, and we set ourselves up to drink from that cup. It's not a cup God wants to give to us, but we ask yep. for it. And eventually mm -hmm. we're going to get what we ask for. Eventually 
we're going to be allowed to put our hand on that hot plate, okay? And we're going to drink from that cup, and it's going to hurt, and it's going to be uncomfortable. And um, that's what he's talking about. Eventually, we're going to have to just deal with what we've this, deal with the, the what we've come upon ourselves. That's right. Yes. All right. Last one. Jeremiah thirty-four speaks of the calf cut in half. Why does God refer to the calf that is cut in half? Is it a symbol of a broken covenant? Well, I, I will. I will tell you. And 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 God did a similar covenant like this with Abraham. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So in ancient mm -hmm. times. Uh, when when kings would come into power, they would take animals, cut them in half, and put them in, 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 down in, in a row. And then their mm -hmm. their future vassals and leaders would have to walk between the animals, saying, "Should I choose to betray you, may the same happen to me as happened to these poor creatures that I'm walking through." Now, mm. in, in the Abraham, what is so powerful is God walked that in front of Abraham to show that God intended to fulfill his promise to Abraham to the point that if he didn't, God would give up being God. Okay? Yes. In this case, it's the children of Israel saying, you're going to walk through and you're going to make this promise that if you don't follow what you promise to follow, the same future will befall you as befalls this animal that has been split in two. Wow, that's a powerful imagery and promise. <laughs> powerful imagery. Yeah. Wow, this brings us to the end of our questioning. Um, thank you so much, Rob, for leading us through that. We invite you to read Jeremiah 37 to 52 for next week, which will be led out by Pastor Dexter, I believe, and his wife, Liz. And we also invite you to text any questions to 954-388-8780. Um, please read daily and not all at once so you can truly grasp everything that is going on in the passages. And we thank you again for joining us. Let us pray for what we have just read and what we will continue reading. Father, thank you for taking us into your word, Father. Thank you for showing us um, a, a deeper picture of you, Father. And we ask that as we study in our upcoming, upcoming session for next week, that even more will be revealed of you. Thank you, Father, for being with us today. In your name we pray. Amen. That is a wrap. Thank you so much, Rob, for everything. As usual, it is a divine time hosting with you. And we thank you, our viewers. Plantation SDA Church presents The Bible Unlost. Read your Bible daily. Join us every Sunday at 7.30 p.m. for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Read the entire Bible in 2021 with the Bible Unmasked.